Before I came yesterday, someone says, oh, you're going to give this sermon? I said, yes. He says, say something new. I said, I cannot do that. The Bible says there's nothing new in the sky. So that too sort of blocked me. It shows you how life is treating me lately. So I, I cannot say something new, but I would like to have a, take an old subject and present perhaps in a new way. And someone also said, how about speaking about love? That, that's great. There's so much you can say about love because the whole thing is about, the Bible is about love anyway. In fact, I don't think we have ever given any sermon which this did not have as a basis love. So what I did, I lately have been studying the Bible by the questions you find in the Bible. For instance, Pharisees oftentimes ask Christ, is it lawful? Interesting. There's a subject of the sermon. Is it lawful? It is. So search through the Bible, search through your own life. The things you do, are they lawful? Now, there are other questions too, but I would like to have this sermon today by a question the disciples asked. The disciples asked Christ quite a few questions, of course. But one of them is very important to us because we all want to have faith. You have quite a few sermons by Mr. Meredith about faith, all of us have given sermons. But the disciples asked something of Christ. Let's start with that because that's a good question should we, every one of us should ask. Luke chapter 17. It's going to really answer quite a few of our questions as to what faith is. The disciples were with Christ and uh, they asked a question, Luke 17. And they said, verse 5, Lord, increase our faith. Increase. Now, they are not asking for faith. They are asking, increase our faith. All of us have faith. All of us have heard sermons about faith, but how many of us have said, Lord, increase my faith? The interesting part is this. Christ answered, as you know very well, I'll come to you in a moment. Verse 6, he says, if you have not faith, he says, you can actually just move a mountain. Later on. But that's not my point. The point is that before the disciples said, increase our faith, what was Christ teaching them? Surprising. Let's go to verse 1. He said, it is impossible that no offense should come, but woe to them, he says, through whom offense comes. And then he says, take heed, verse 3, to yourselves. If your brother sin against you, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. Now, wait, wait a moment. We're talking about faith a moment ago. Christ is talking about forgiveness here. Says, if your brother says sins against you, forgive him. 
And if he sins against you, he says, seven times in a day, seven times in a day, returns to you, says, saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. Now, what does that have to do with the question the disciple asked? Strange. Disciples increase our faith. Is this an accident? No, it is not, because you'll find this repeated again elsewhere. In Mark chapter 11, don't forget, we want to increase our faith. Mark chapter 11, a similar instance, somewhat. The disciples were with Christ, and Christ saw a fig tree, verse 20, Mark 11, verse 20. So he cursed the fig tree because it did not produce any fruit. And then, uh, look, What's so surprising? Christ could do and can do all things, so when he cursed the fig tree, the fig tree was supposed to dry. The disciples were surprised. Verse 21, Mark 11, 21. So Rabbi says, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Why should you be surprised? What did Christ say? Now you come back to the same answer again. He says, if you have, verse 23, enough faith and not doubt, look at that word in his heart, but believes that those things he says will come to pass, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, Christ giving the same answer again in a different way. And then he Verse 24, he goes one step further. Therefore, says, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, we're talking about increasing faith, remember? Believe that you received. In some translations, you read, believe that you have received. And you will have them. But that's not the end of it. Remember Luke 17? The question was, increase our faith, and he said uh, something about forgiveness before. Now here, talking, take, talking, about, take, talking about the same subject, right away, after saying you can remove the mountains if you have enough faith, if you believe, and then it says, verse 25, and whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, look at this, coming back to the same subject again, forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. Does increasing faith have anything to do with forgiveness? You can see twice. Twice it happens again. Christ is making it very clear that if you don't forgive your brother, you cannot have faith or expect your faith to be forgiven, uh, to be increased. And then again, repeats again, but he says, if you don't forgive, that's important verse, if you don't forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. There's a tremendous connection between these two. Increasing faith depends upon, partly upon your willingness to forgive your brother. That's what Christ is saying, isn't it? In fact, the very prayer he gave us, Matthew 6, is a sample he said the same thing. Matthew 6, verse 12. You should know by heart. 
He said, forgive us our debtors as we forgive our our debtors. So you see, Christ said the same thing in many, many ways. And then Matthew 6, 14, he repeats the same sentence or the same sentence, I should say, which is did it Mark? He says, let's turn to Matthew 6, 14. Matthew 6, 14. Here Christ is making very clear as to what it means for us to be able to forgive others. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But, verse 15, if you don't forgive them, your Father will not forgive you either. So, in other words, if we want to be saved, we're saved by faith, of course, but if we don't forgive our brothers and brethren or brothers, we cannot be saved because God will not forgive us. I, I was struck when I stopped, uh, put those two together because it never occurred to me that forgiving our neighbor is part of our increasing our faith. It's something we have to learn, we have to remember. Because time and again, Christ did not draw any lines as far as faith is concerned. As you see, he says, expect you will have it. In Matthew chapter 7, for instance, it's very clear. He says, look, Matthew 7, 7, ask you shall be given. Very simple. Remember the condition or conditions, there are some other conditions yet, and you will receive. He says, knock and it should be open to you. It's very strange. Therefore, you see, there's no restrictions as far as faith is concerned, as far as increasing our faith is concerned, if we actually honor the principles that are given to us or the commandments that are given to us as to how to increase our faith. Oftentimes, we don't quite know what faith is before we can even increase our faith. We confound or confuse faith with hope. Frankly, I know as a minister, I'm sure every minister will say, when we anoint people, most of the time people don't have faith, they have hope. They hope to be healed. They are anointed, they hope that God would hear the prayers. That's not faith. Paul explains the difference between the two. It's been in a very clear way. Matthew, uh, Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Don't forget, our subject is always increasing our faith. But before we can increase our faith, we should know what faith is. Romans chapter 8, verse 24. Remember we said something about a moment ago about faith, about salvation? Paul makes it very clear here. He says, for we are saved in this hope. Because we aren't saved yet. We are being saved, so we're hoping to be saved. Salvation is through faith. But he says, we're saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one say one still hope for something that he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then he says we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You know what? 
we're hoping we're going to be saved. That's hope. If we are 100%, if we have 100% faith and you do what God says, of course, that's already there. But we haven't reached yet. We are hoping, we are walking through, because we're walking and hoping to walk through glory, because salvation is glory. But look at the last sentence. It is with perseverance. What did Christ tell his disciples in Matthew 24 when he mentioned about the last days? Who would be saved? He said, those who persevere, Matthew 24, 13. Those who persevere should be saved. All right, that's hope. We're hoping. We're walking toward with faith. What is faith? Unlike hope, faith is something we don't see. I remember Mr. Armstrong is teaching time and again. He says, if you are hoping to see something, that's not faith. If you ask God something, suppose you have a swollen cheek because you have a toothache and you get anointed and after you anointed the swelling is still there you see it, you say, oh well God did not hear me because you're basing your faith upon what you see he would say, look faith is something that does not, does not depend upon what you see faith is done already in God's mind that's it, that's finished but we always look at the outside, the appearance, the physical side. Therefore, we continue having hope rather than having faith. I'm not playing with words. It's just because you can see that the very clear connection between those two. In Romans 5 again, Paul makes it clear this, clear this once again. Romans 5, verse 1. Having been justified by faith. Yes, we are justified by faith made right before God. We have peace with God through Christ, through whom he says also we have access by faith into the grace. Therefore, faith will always take us to the grace. What is the grace? Salvation, ultimately. Into the grace in, the, in which as we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. I think the best thing you can do is just take time on your own. Study that very, very carefully. You will see the connection between hope and between faith, and you will know how to increase your faith. And then he continues the same way as he did a moment ago. He says, and not only, verse 3, that's not only that, he says, but we also glory, glory in tribulations. Do we? we no, of course we don't. Well, no wonder we don't, have, we don't have enough faith. Knowing, he says, knowing, knowing that tribulation produces what? Perseverance. We are saved by perseverance. There's a tremendous connection there that we oftentimes miss. Then we don't, we don't, we wonder why we don't have enough faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, of course we know by heart, the definition of faith, which goes along with what we said a moment ago. Faith is not something you see. Faith is something that has happened already, whether you see it or not. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Faith is the substance, the accomplishment, the demonstration of things 
hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Now, we have, saw, we have seen those things. We have read them time and again. But what makes us doubt? Because we don't think of God as God of hope. Interesting, because Paul, Paul when he spoke about faith in Romans, and also in, uh, about, uh, about hope in Romans, he calls God by a name which we hardly call. We speak of God as God of love, which is true. God of patience, which is true. But do we ever think of God of hope? Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Paul speaks again as to what's going to happen in the future and how all of us should rejoice. Verse 32, Romans 15, 32, that I may easily come to you with joy by the will of God. And verse 33, now the God of peace be with you. God of peace. Here we have God of peace, but let's go back to chapter 15, Romans 15. Quoting from the Old Testament, again speaking about how to glorify God, verse 13 he says, Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with what? With all joy. That, the word joy oftentimes occurs when we speak of hope. Joy and hope. Look. The God of, God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Salvation. We receive the Holy Spirit, which leads us to salvation. We grow with the Holy Spirit. We do things hoping that we are, be, we are pleasing God. And we have faith that God will honor his word. All of that put, put together, you will understand much better as to what really, how you can increase your faith. In the Bible, there are quite a few examples when you see the people practicing this way or perhaps the exact contrary way. One of the best ways is Abraham. Abraham was a man of faith and he also a man of obedience. And as you know, God told him one day, Genesis 12, I won't turn to it. He says, pack up and go, just like some of us here. We pack up and go to Charlotte. Okay, Genesis, Abraham did go. He, had, he knew that God know, knew what he was saying. Why? Did he have a comfortable life? Yes. Did he have everything fine? Yes. But why did he accept without even questioning interesting question. How come that Abraham just accepted without arguing with God saying, look, God, here are my reasons why not. He didn't. Later on, as you know, when God told him, go and take your son and sacrifice him, likewise. He got up and went. Why? Was that a question I would like to know because I, I could learn from him, from his example, so that 
if and when we have the, the same experience, we can also succeed the way he did succeed. Well, Bible answers the question as to why and how Abraham was able to just do what God said. He knew that God meant what he said, and he knew also know, know that God knows what he's doing. Romans chapter 4. There's a lot in the book of Romans about faith and hope, as you can see. And the example of Abraham is very, very interesting because it shows us exactly how to walk in faith and hope. Romans chapter 4. Verse uh, 8, well, let's take verse 18. I, I prefer the old King James Bible because it's, it says, hoping against hope, or contrary, it's beautiful. But here again, the new King James says, he, Abraham, who contrary to hope, in hope believed. In other words, Abraham had hope when there was no way of hoping. That's what it is. That's the exact meaning of it. Therefore, you see, when God told him to go, he knew that God meant what he said and he did not doubt him. He did not have to ask God, increase my faith. So how did he do it? So that he hoped against hope because he knew that what God says, God can do, will do. Verse 21. He was fully convinced that what he, God, has promised, God also was able to perform. This is where we fail, you and I. We think we know. We don't act accordingly. We don't behave accordingly. We don't just, you know, we don't even talk accordingly. If you ever sit down and listen to what someone says or what you say, most of our thinking is negative. Most of our thinking is based on doubts. We think we believe. We think we have hope. But we're so much filled with negative attitudes, negative thinking. It wasn't so with Abraham. He knew that when God had said something, God will also fulfill it. Let's go back to these disciples again. When they ask of Christ to increase their faith, Christ told them, first of all, forgive your brothers. And then, right afterwards, comes Peter. Matthew chapter 14. It's interesting because one follows the other. It's not an accident. There's a reason for it. Matthew chapter 14 Here we have Peter's example. He too was part of the disciples who said increase our faith. He too believed in God. He too hoped. But he too, like every one of us, he's had, he had doubts at times. So what happens? He, after Christ told them how to increase their faith, he sees one day Christ walking on the water. Matthew chapter 14. So he, let's take the 
Verse 28. Just take it short. Okay, Matthew 14, 28. So Peter answered this. says, look, says Christ, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He sees Christ walking on the water. He's saying, look, ask, and I will go, I'll do the same thing you do. He's faith, isn't he? He had faith. And Christ told him, come. Verse 29. And Peter walks. Peter is on the water. He goes out of the park. He's walking on the water. What happens? Now here's another aspect as to why we don't have enough faith or why our faith is not increased. He was uh, given an order, come. Because Peter said he would like to be also walking on the water. The order was, come. He did. Until when? Verse 30. He was walking on the water. Verse 29, he says, he, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Look, that's clear. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. Peter walking. Verse 30. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And he began to sink. Of course, he cries out, Lord, save me. Now look at the connection here. So long as his eyes were on Christ, no problem, he was walking. When he turned his eyes away, he begins to sink. That's one of, another reason why we don't have enough faith. And our faith is not increased. You see, because of the fact, so long as we have Christ, we're walking with Christ. You have had so many sermons, walk with Christ. As long as you walk with Christ, your eyes are on Christ, you're on the way to success. But the moment you turn your head away, you lose your faith. Therefore, you can't ask God, say, look, increase my faith. He will say, turn your head around. Turn your eyes to me. That's what it is. See, oftentimes we ask God to increase our faith, and we turn around the other side, towards fear toward doubts. So we have interesting example of Peter over here. And what did Christ tell him? So he began to say, look, Christ saved me, verse 31, Mark 31. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hands, you see how he's there to help, and caught him and said, oh, ye of little faith, why? Did you doubt? That's another aspect. We don't really have enough faith, or our faith is not increased because we doubt. I know this. I know by experience. You know, so many things I know it's going to be right, but the human mind plays so many tricks on you. You have all kinds of reasons why you want to doubt. We can invent many, many reasons as to why something should not happen. Because, as I said, we, we, we reason with our human emotions. Doubting is part of human nature in a way, especially under Satan's influence. Satan is the one who would make us doubt. I'll come to the moment. Therefore, once you ask God something, 
try to discard any kind of doubts or any arguments which will lead you to doubting. It's hard, I know. I'm not saying <laughs> it's easy to do. All of us are on the same boat over here. But the fact is that we don't really expect God to do his share because we try to find out reasons why he should not do it or this should not happen. Because we take our eyes away from Christ. But coming back to this Peter example, it is, as you can see, this what you see about Peter walking on the water is between two chapters in the Bible. Because be just before that, in Matthew chapter 14, just before that, something else happened. Before Peter could walk on the water, Christ performed a miracle. Verse 13, Matthew 14. As you know, there was a multitude following Christ. And the multitude, I'm just paraphrasing now, they were hungry. And the disciples said, well, we don't know how to feed them. Send them away. And Christ said, they don't need, verse 16, they don't need to go away. He says, you give them something to eat. Interesting statement. Christ knew that disciples did not have anything to give. Why did he tell them that? And then he showed them afterwards what faith does. Because when he said to them, to you give them, they said, look, we have nothing. We only have five loaves and two fish. He said, bring them to me. So as you know, he multiplied. And there were 5,000 people, without counting the children, who were fed. Right afterwards, you have Peter's example of sinking. Right? As you see, I don't think those are accidents. So Peter was with the group when he said, increase our faith. He was with the group when he saw the feeding of the 5,000 people. Then he saw Christ walking on the water. He turned his eyes away, sink, he began to sink. That's not the end of the story. The chapter, next chapter, the same thing happens again. Goes another miracle. Matthew chapter 15, verse 12, verse 32. Now here, it's not the same, it's not the same story. It's a different occasion. This time, there are 4,000 people who were following Christ and did not have enough to eat. And Christ had compassion for them. Matthew 15, verse 32. Because they had, not, they had been for three days walking with him and so forth. So, he again, he multiplied the loaves of bread and the fish. And they all were fed. There were 4,000 this time. There were plenty left, left over. Are those uh, just experiences? No. The Bible is so clear. He's showing in one hand miracles that happen. But if your faith is on miracles, it does not last too long. You forget. That's what happened. Peter's example is between two 
such miracles. But we can, you and I, learn from such experience. When you ask God something, don't doubt. You will have millions of reasons to doubt. I know, I'm with you there. I can conceive thousands of reasons why I should doubt. That's human. But yet, if we can just be closer to God and walk with him, be like Abraham, we will have our faith increased. You know why? Because the things we don't see are real from God's point of view. At this moment, we don't know how many angels around us. We don't. When you travel, when we go someplace, we don't know how much we are protected. We know all of that. We have seen so many examples of miracles in our own lives. I'm not talking about that. I'm thinking God is always there to protect us. If you know that God is there to protect us, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt when other things happen in your life? For instance, why do you doubt, let's say, if God says something for you to do? Abraham did not doubt. Why don't we act like him? Abraham did not have to ask God, increase my faith. Because he obeyed God 100%. Genesis, Genesis 26, 5. In everything, Abraham did what God said. And that's where you and I fall short. We do the best we can, but not all the way. In 2 Kings chapter 6, we have an example of also of God's protection. Here we have a Syrian army attacking the Israelites. I'll just skip over. And uh, Elisha, the prophet, had a servant. Elisha had, of course, faith. He knew what was going to happen. But Elisha's servant was scared to death. He, was, he didn't know what was happening. He saw the army of the Syrians. He really was afraid. Verse 15, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 15. So when the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha, rose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. That's scary, isn't it? Here is a small group of Israelites. You have a whole Syrian army. And of course he's scared. He says... Master, my master, he says, what shall we do? The moment he says, what shall we do? You don't have faith. You're asking questions because you should know the answer. Here you're, you are with the man of God. You should know that the man of God would be protected by God, but the servant did doubt here. He didn't know what it was. What was Elisha's answer? Beautiful. Verse 16, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 16. I hope you, remember, you will always remember it. So don't fear. Fear is something which will always kill your faith. And that's another reason why we don't have enough faith. We want God to increase our faith because we're scared, we're afraid. We're afraid because like Peter, our eyes are turned away. 
Elisha said, don't, don't be afraid. For those, look at this, now this is a promise. That's why you and I should not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Did the servant see them? No. He didn't see them. There was, he looked around, who is with us? What did Elijah, Elisha do? Verse 17. Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes. That's beautiful. All of us, we just don't have our eyes open. That's why we lack faith. That's why we do need to ask God to increase our faith. Because, you see, we don't see God's army. And because we don't see, we doubt. Elisha said, open his eyes so he may see. And behold, the man did open his eyes. Behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots. Verse 17. Chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know the story. There it is. So those are the things we don't see and we doubt. And we say, why isn't God answering our prayers? God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. His promises are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Angels are always with us because God wants his angels to help us. Does that surprise you? Hebrews chapter 1. Those are the things we learned in the old times in the college, as you heard in the sermon age. And we have to be closer to God because all of us, unitedly, we're just having sermons always on faith and love and serving and loving God. And we were filled with this, this, this type of, shall I say, encouragement. Because we knew that God did start the work with Mr. Armstrong and he was going to finish it. And he's going to finish it. But we were told, look, don't be afraid. God is with us. God is protecting us. And Mr. Armstrong will time and again come back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14. Hebrews 1, 14, what does it say? Speaking about angels, they are, are they not ministering, serving spirits sent forth to minister or serve those who will inherit salvation. That's their job. God's ministers are servants. God's angels are servants. God's angels are servants to watch after you and me. Why do we doubt? Those are, those are the reasons why I'm talking as to why we sometimes have weak points. Well, it's human, I know, but we, we, we want to increase our faith, remember? This is the way to increase your faith. Get away from doubts because you know God means what he says. You know that you don't have to depend on what you see. Because beyond that, there's an army you don't see. In Mark chapter 9, it's a very touching example. And to me, oftentimes when, we, when I doubt, let's say, I can turn to Mark 9. Because 
we try to do the best we can. We don't always succeed because of human nature, because of Satan's uh, perhaps influence. But whatever the case, here's the case of a man who needed help. Mark chapter 9. Let's start, let's see where we start here. Verse 14. Uh, Mark 9, 14. So Christ comes with his disciples. He saw a great multitude. And there was a man, I'm paraphrasing again. And the man comes to him because the disciples were discussing about, among themselves about unimportant things, I should say. Verse 17. So one of them says, teacher says, I brought to you, says my son, who has a mute spirit. And here's a man whose son is sick. And as a father, he wants his son to be healed. And he explains how the son suffers. And uh, Christ says, how long? And the man says, whatever it was. So Christ says, 19, a faithful generation says, how long shall I be with you? Then what happens? Then disciples are surprised because they could not do anything about it. So when the man, the father, I'm just paraphrasing for the sake of time. So when the father hears all this, look at his question. Verse 23. Or tw let's do verse 22. Mark 9:22. So the father says, if you can't do anything. Have compassion on us and help us. Look at that sentence. The man is hoping. He lacks faith. If, it's because God can do all, th all things. But you see, if there's a chance you can do, then he uses a word which I don't think he even understands the meaning of it. He says, have compassion. You know what compassion is? It means suffer with. Come and passion. So it says, suffer with me. In the Bible, you can check. Every time you have the word compassion, there's an action that follows. Every time Christ had compassion, he did something. So the man here, without realizing, says, have compassion. Sure enough. Christ did act. But Christ did not rebuke him, did he? He just said, if you can believe, all things would be possible. If you can believe, the man could not. But what was the man's reaction? That's what you and I should learn. Verse 24. Immediately the father said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Those are profound statements. In other words, he wants to, with all his heart, he wants to believe. I'm not able to, so please help me to really understand what you're saying or be able to believe. But to me, that's part of my prayer, you know, sometimes. I say, look, I believe, help thou my unbelief, because of the fact I do, I do know that doubts will affect my emotions or my thinking or my reasoning. That too is given in the Bible for us to learn something. 
So why are we here? We lack faith because of the fact we doubt, oftentimes. We lack faith because we have not forgiven our neighbor. We lack faith because we turn our eyes away from God. See, it's not all. There's one more before I start. Because it's interesting to see the logic as to why we do need to be closer to God. Satan is the one who first put doubts in the human mind. Genesis chapter 1, as you know, God created the heaven and earth. Chapter 2, created man. And he instructed man as to what he should do. And he made a promise to man that man could be happy, have all he wants if he obeys God. That was the agreement. Genesis 3. Satan comes in the picture because Satan didn't want mankind to be, to be saved because of the fact man would be over Satan forever if he inherits eternal life. So here Satan would like to just prevent this from happening. So what happens? So he's putting doubt in the couple's minds. God had told them what to do. Not to eat of the forbidden fruit. What was Satan's argument? Satan said, oh no. Did God tell you that you will die? He said, oh no, you want to die. Verse 4, Genesis 3. To lie, yes. There's more than a lie. He's making the couple doubt God's word. From that moment on, that was the end of it. The moment you doubt God's word, you see, then that's it. You, don't, you can't have faith. The man lost. The woman lost their physical life here. Because they believed Satan who put doubt in their mind that what God says, God doesn't mean. Unlike Abraham who believed that God, what God says, God means it. See, the exact opposites. Ever since we have had this problem, the first nation God called Israelites. The same thing. Satan, the first thing he did, put doubts in the people's minds. In a few weeks, brethren, you will have Passover. And we will be going over those, those examples. When God asked Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, God did not have in mind to kill those people in the desert. Look, time and again, he made ten fantastic miracles to show that he wanted them out of Egypt. Why in the world should they doubt? That same human mind under Satan's influence. Exodus chapter 14. Let's at least that, that part of it, it's interesting because of the fact here, God has performed 10 miracles because people were crying to be put out of Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt. He performed all miracles. Then what happens? Exodus 14, verse 10. Exactly just like what happened to Peter. Your eyes off God and your eyes, eyes on danger. Exodus 14, verse 10. When Pharaoh's 
Pharaoh draw near. The children of Israel would have lifted their eyes, looked there, seen the danger again, not God, and behold, the Egyptians marched off after them. They were afraid. Then what did they do? Did they say, God, help us? No. Look at, the, look at verse 11. So they turned to Moses and said, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Where in the world would you find in the Bible any place? God says, I will take those children out to make them die in the desert. You won't find it. But those doubts, those feet appears. Therefore, you see, they did not. They too were under Satan's influence, were turned away from God. Where are we here, brethren? That's the world we're living in. Today, look at this. You know, this morning I was looking at the paper. Some of you perhaps are too young to know what happened back in 1945-46. I was there in Europe. Mr. Gibbons was there, I know. You know, we were there, we saw those things. When you see, when you see the paper, there are 10,000 Marines shipped out. It does something to you. I saw soldiers die over there. All these young people going to some place they didn't even know it existed before. And going to die. It just does something to you. And we just, you know, pray that God will really intervene, just put an end to this sick, sick, sick world. But you and I have a job to do, you and I, brethren. You and I, we have to, you see what's happening, we have to ask God to increase our faith, but we have to act accordingly. Oftentimes, after we ask God for more faith, we don't act accordingly. We go back and act like the Israelites. We put doubts in our minds or even blame God for it as they did over here. In James chapter 4, James answers the question as to what we should do. He said, this is what you should do when Satan is actually attacking you. Because Satan is after every one of us, Satan would like to make each and every one of us doubt. James chapter 4. Verse 7. He says, draw near to God. Resist, he says, devil, and he will flee from you. How do you resist evil? First of all, you can resist evil by always obeying God. Secondly, by never doubting God. Thirdly, never believing Satan's deception. Then, then Satan has no power over you. Verse 8, draw near to God. How do you draw near to God? By submitting yourself to him. By trusting him. By never doubting him. By knowing that all things are possible with him. As Abraham, as Abraham did, you see, hoping against hope. That's how you can get closer to God. He says, get closer to him and he will draw near you. God is the rest. 
So James is giving us the answer. Brethren, today we have come to the point that the world is very close to explosion. We know it. I don't know how many more years, but the fact is that we see what's happening. We're going to see more and more doubts in this world, more and more Satan's influence in this world, more and more Satan dividing friends within the church and outside of the church. So we have lost the first love that God called us for. You know, not having enough love is another reason why we don't have enough faith. We lack faith, we lack love for one another, and that's another condition. Let me show it to you. First John chapter 5. Remember the subject. We're asking God to increase our faith. God will not increase our faith if we don't have enough love one for another. And that includes your enemies. Look. First John chapter 5, verse 1. Whoever beloves, believes is God that Christ, Jesus is Christ, is, is born of God, because of God. Everyone says who loves him, who loves God, who beget, who begot also, I'm sorry, who begot also loves him, is begotten of him. But by this it says we know that we love the children of God when we love God. That's clear, isn't it? But that's not the end of it. Sometimes we stop at the sentence, look, we love God and keep his commandments. So if you do love really God, and you're a child of God, you should love your neighbor, and you should keep the commandments. A little bit later on, or perhaps before that, that's this verse here, James, John makes it very clear as to what that love is. You cannot love God unless you love your neighbor. That's the biblical statement. Look, John, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20. If someone says, I love God, that's clear, isn't it? And hates his brother, he is a liar. A liar cannot have faith. A liar cannot ask God to increase his faith. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And then James gives, uh, John gives a commandment. That's as good a commandment as you can find in the Bible. And this commandment is as we have from him, that he who loves God must, that's pretty strong, isn't it? Love his brother also. You want to increase your faith. Be sure that you love your brother, whomever he may be. 1 John chapter 3. John is known for his writing about love, as you know. And he's also telling us how to have faith, how to receive what we ask of God. 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. And whatever we ask of God, 
we receive because, why? Why? Why do we receive? Because we keep his commandment and do those things which are pleasing in his, in his sight. Is doubting pleasing in his sight? No. Is turning our eyes away from him pleasing in his sight? No. So if you ask God anything, be sure that you, first you don't doubt, then you keep his commandments, and you always do what's pleasing in his sight. You know, brethren, there's so much to say on this subject here, but I think that in the Church of God, we should have more assurance, not on ourselves, on God and on God's promises. I would like to give you one example, one more, before we close. The way Christ acted on earth. Christ was persecuted, Christ was blamed, attacked, and blasphemed. Christ never doubted. Christ never at any moment hated his neighbor. He hated sin. He condemned sin, but not man. There was a time when Christ was called to perform a miracle in John chapter 11. And he was with people who, who liked him. Lazarus and Lazarus' family, Mary and Martha. Martha and Mary, you see, they were, they were part of Christ's family. They liked him. Christ liked them. So here we have Lazarus dying, and Lazarus dies. Now what happens? All of a sudden, the sisters are all emotionally involved. They say, oh, if Christ were here, our brother would not have died. I'm just paraphrasing again. So Christ came into the picture. They called Christ. You can read the whole chapter. It's very interesting. John chapter 11. And Christ finally came before the, before the dead. And look at his attitude. We're talking about faith. About how to pray. The example here we see of Christ's prayer is a masterpiece of knowing what faith really is. So Christ comes and in verse 41, John 41, John, John 11, verse 41, so they took away everyone else, they took away the stone from the place where the dead was. Christ lifted his eyes, look at the attitude, look at, look at the assurance. He prays. Father, he says, I thank you. That's the first thing he's saying. That's something we don't always do, do we? We ask God, but before we ask anything, we don't thank him. Christ is thanking him before asking anything. And I think he said that you have heard me. There's your faith. He's not saying that you will hear me. You have heard me as you always do. Verse 42, and I know, look at, look, at, look at the assurance we're talking about, increase our faith. I know that you always hear me. You want to have your faith increased? This is the way to go if we respect the conditions. But because this is of the people who are standing by, 
I say that they may also believe that you sent me. And what was the end of the prayer? See, Lazarus come forth. That was all. Look at that short prayer to perform a miracle. So, what are the things which keep us from increasing our faith? Doubts? Yes. Disobedience? Yes. Turning our eyes away from God? Yes. Not forgiving our neighbor? Yes. And not have, having enough assurance God hears us. Now you can perhaps understand why. James writes in closing, James chapter 1. He makes a strange statement, yet very true, because now that you understand the whole picture, at least most of it, you see why James did write something which is almost unbelievable. Something I don't believe. I mean, how could, it, how could I say, look, I'm happy because I'm suffering. Yet that's what James says. James chapter 1, verse My brethren, he says, count it all, all joy. That's pretty strong, isn't it? When you fall into various trials. And that's why we, that's, that's, that's what life is all about. We have trials. So count it all joy, he says. Why? And he explains, knowing that the testing of your faith, the testing only, produces patience. And without patience, as you know, we cannot really persevere. Let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Brethren, this is only the beginning of the sermon. I hope you can continue it yourself. Just try to really work with, those, with this guidance and just know that God wants you to have all that which is good for you. But be sure you do your job before you ask God to increase your faith. Be sure that you are doing what is pleasing in his eye. Mm -hmm.